I'm Rob Thomas with Club Resort Business, and welcome to another episode of Club Resort Talks. Today's episode is sponsored by Club Essential. Club Essential enables club leaders to accelerate extraordinary experiences through membership and club management solutions built on a mobile-first platform for country clubs, golf clubs, city clubs, yacht clubs, and other private clubs. From member loyalty to geolocation marketing, uh, to back-end operational processes. The Club Essentials Suite helps uh, clubs efficiently attract, engage, and retain their members. Learn more at clubessential.com. Now that we got that, hey, let's introduce you to Phil Karen, our senior editor. Phil, how's it going? Good. Doing well, Rob. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Hey, uh, real quick, big news of the week was uh, Live and uh, the PGA. The battle's over, right? Uh, right. or maybe it's just begun. We don't know yet. The details are still coming through. Uh, I guess it's not a merger, but there is some kind of an agreement now, uh, in place. So what, what do you think about the whole situation? Well, it was, um, I don't think it's an understatement to say that it was shocking news. It really was. And it seemed to blindside almost everybody, uh, on, on both sides of things, other than obviously the select few who were part of all the negotiations that went into this. And yes, you're right. I was noticing that too in the news that um, I know a lot of news outlets called it a merger, but it's more, as I saw in the story actually from uh, CNN, they were saying it's actually more of a, a partnership and creating a new commercial entity, which of course both tours would fall under. So yeah, it was a uh, shocking news this week and um, really blindsided everybody. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, whole judgment on how it's going to work for both tours because i'm curious to see how that works it, and as somebody who has followed the pga tour since i was a child i'm interested to see what happens with uh the pga's events the major tournaments i'm assuming the major tournaments stick around and everything um and it looks like too we have sort of a path for the live players to be able to return to the pga tour if they wish or to at least some pga tour events if they wish yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, obviously, big, big news. Uh, I feel bad for some of the some of the big names that, that stayed loyal to the PGA Tour. Uh, John yeah. Rahm, uh, I mean, he, he was probably, and I know Matsuyama, Hideki Matsuyama was offered a boatload of money, uh, probably in excess of $150 million to go. He stayed, so he didn't get any of that money. Rory, um, the biggest name probably in golf right now, said he wasn't even offered because they they probably knew that Rory was not going to go to live. So um, I guess the money's not there, but he really uh, was kind of left hanging in the wind by the PGA tour. And I felt a little bad for him uh, after all he'd been through uh, mentally and physically, but um, we'll see, you know, we, we covered in the past news about clubs losing members due to uh, their association with live golf. Uh, a number of the, the clubs, you know, that, that, uh, joined forces and hosted events, but, um, you know, that, that I wonder if is, is has it hurt or not? Because uh, golf was such a boom. There's been waiting lists at clubs across the country. I don't know if, you know, those five members left and five more are waiting at the door to come in. So, uh, that's, that's kind of one hurdle that, uh, our clubs have cleared now, which is a, it's a good thing for the industry, I suppose. Yes. Yes. I would think so. Um, and I, I agree with you too, going back to what you were saying about um, it, it was, I will say, yes, it was disappointing to see that it felt like the PGA tour turned its back a little bit on some of their, you know, 
biggest names, if you will, as we know, Tiger Woods, of course, also had expressed his uh, criticism of the, the live tour. And well, of course his was more, as we know, Tiger's never really been political. He spoke, he, he talked about more in terms of the game of golf. You know, he had the comments about, Oh, what's the point of practicing when, you know, with the live events, you, you don't have a cut. It's only three rounds, not four rounds, things like that. Um, so it was surprising to see the PGA, um, go that route when some of their best known players and ambassadors of the game, if you will, of the tour too, um, were speaking out against the tour. I had, honestly, I had really kind of expected it to be sort of a competition between the tours over the next few years. So I'm surprising to see this sort of, again, partnership happening and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, especially in terms of the, the traditional events we've become accustomed to with the PGA tour. Yeah. You know, I, I, I enjoyed the um, watching the majors and seeing some of the live guys uh, competing. Um, personal opinion, my most of the live guys that uh, that left the PGA Tour weren't necessarily high on my list of likability. Uh, you know, the Brookses, the Brysons. Uh, I'm not a big Cam Smith fan. You know, a lot of those guys just Patrick Reed are not necessarily likable in my book. But now they're coming back, and I mean, they're obviously the great, great golfers. Um, the the tour is better when everybody's playing. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the next step, the next iteration. And I guess live golf. Greg Norman says it's not going anywhere. It's still right. going to be there. I don't know what what form. You know, the, I think the best players are going to be leaving. Maybe there'll be some live golf events from after the 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 PGA Tour Championship uh, September to. December, uh, you know, in that area. And then January, the PGA tour picks back up. I don't know the off season, maybe live will be the, uh, the, uh, the tour of choice and they'll go back to Australia. You know, we know in Australia, December in Australia is beautiful. If not downright hot, you know, it's certainly not like it is here. Most of our country. So uh, I know interesting to see what's going on. It will be. Yeah, it will be because uh, well, the club, one last point on it, it'll be interesting to see what clubs decide to do. Cause as you said, there were some clubs we saw where people were a little upset about a live tour event being hosted there. And we'll be interested now that they're all going to be operating under the same umbrella. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Let's get back into our little world, uh, the yeah. club world. Um, what other news have you been seeing recently this week? Oh, this week news wise. Uh, one thing I did notice we saw uh, Troon in the news quite a bit. Um, I think we had three stories over the last, say, week or so, uh, three different clubs selecting them to be uh, manager of their sites. Uh, Rain Tree Country Club in Charlotte, North Carolina, Highland Park Golf Course uh, in Highland Hills, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland, also selected Troon, and then the Ocean Shores Golf Course in Ocean Shores, Washington, uh, selected Troon as well. Um, so obviously speaks well of Troon in terms of what they offer to facilities. Hey, great news for me because Highland Hills is only about, about 15 minutes away from my house. Um, in the past, I've had to drive all the way out to Elyria to go see Valley of the Eagles, which is close to an hour away uh, to find a Troon property. So, um, you know, welcome Highland Hills, 36 hole property. I believe it's owned by the city of Cleveland and they're about to put some big money into it to, uh, 
to make it uh, tournament worthy. So looking forward to seeing what that what that course looks like and how uh, Troon is going to take operations up, up, up. Yeah, should be should be exciting to watch. And yes, it's, that's sort of in our neck of the woods here. So another opportunity, another great place to play. Yeah, what else are you seeing? Um, well, the other thing was, of course, as we know, uh, or as you know, we've um, had our um, top ranked, or I'm sorry, actually, what I want to mention real quick was our idea, our June issue actually is ideas issue, as well as the uh, top ranked racket facilities. And uh, just want to real quick mention a couple of the stories I had coming out with the ideas issue. Uh, we saw our friends and champions run in Omaha, Nebraska offering up um, a program called the show at the pool. People are probably familiar going to the pool the 4th of July and you have a bunch of games on that particular day on the holiday, but champions likes to have these kind of games almost every day, t-shirt cannon, half court, basketball shot, treasure hunt, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, one other, a couple other quick stories to mention. I had a story about the uh, club at Admiral's Cove in Jupiter, Florida. They decided to start doing, having their employees do some service projects which uh, kind of served two purposes, allowed them to help the community and also form some stronger connections with their coworkers. Uh, got a, a lot of great feedback from their employees. They did a beach cleanup, school supply drive, uh, helped out at a food bank. And the other one to mention was um, the club at Ibis in West Palm Beach, Florida. They have a program where they partnered with the uh, Elves for Autism Foundation and Best Buddies International to train and employ, train and employ individuals who have um, either autism spectrum disorder or um, intellectual or developmental disabilities. Another great program there as well. So a lot of, a lot of good stuff, a lot of great ideas uh, that clubs are offering up here. And I think uh, readers will enjoy it. The ideas issue is always my favorite uh, every year. Um, so many of these things are so easy to implement. Uh, you know, zero up front, up front uh, fees. Uh, for a lot of these programs, uh, just get out there and do it. Uh, you know, some clubs can't afford a, a $40 million renovation or, or something along that line, but they can all afford to get out there in the community, help with uh, the, the less fortunate. And we see that a lot. And I think it's uh, underreported in a lot of ways that, um, you know, country clubs, people think that country clubs are just for the, uh, the elite the rich people who can afford it. Right. But uh, they do so much good right on down to employing hundreds and hundreds of people uh, that work, that live in the community. Um, and then to get out there and to help uh, some, some young mothers maybe that needed some diapers. I know that was yeah. one of the things that the, the club was doing. Uh, you see some of the, um, some, some physically challenged people out there uh, and the clubs are just doing so much. And it's so nice to report on uh, on all these things, these fun little projects that they're doing, um, whether it's building boats for yacht clubs, you know, these kids getting out there, see, so will it float, you know, that kind of stuff. Champions Run, Ben Lorenzen does so much on a, on a daily, weekly basis, you know, right. that uh, one time a year that we report on these things, boys, man, he piles them up. So we've got yeah. a lot, we have to say, hey, Ben, that's that's enough. You know, we, <laughs> we, we can't report on everything that you do because you do so much, but uh, you know, he's a rock star and I love reporting on those things. Yeah. And then the key word with him is experience. They're trying to, well, actually three, there's three E's there. Energy, uh, excitement, experience, if you will. So that's what they're always trying to create with all those 
events. They're obviously very proud of their facilities, but they are trying to have something where, as he explained it to me once, they're trying to have some events happening where people get their phones out, take pictures, take videos, share it on social media. Then people want to say, hey, where were you? Oh, Champions Run. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're big. Champions Run, Country Club of Virginia, Bayhead uh, Yacht Club. Some of those clubs are just doing so much, and the idea issue uh, could be cover to cover with them, but we, we try to sprinkle them out and, and share the wealth, but uh, lo- love the issue. Hey, uh, before we get too far, uh, you had a, a nice conversation uh, about our top-ranked program. Can you tell us a little bit about what uh, our viewers and listeners can expect in our next segment? Absolutely. And that's the other thing from the June issue. Uh, we had our listing here of top ranked uh, racket facilities. That was our uh, one for this month here. And just to kind of run down, as I did before, top five uh, ranked racket facilities are number five, Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, number four is the Oaks Club at, uh, in Osprey, Florida. Number three is Ballon Isles Country Club in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Uh, Coming in, number two is Daniel Island Club in Daniel Island, South Carolina. And top spot, Rob, do you want to have a drum roll here? One is Philadelphia Cricket Club in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So congratulations to them, to the management team, uh, employees of the club. Philadelphia Cricket Club, uh, they are our number one ranked uh, racket facility in our uh, top ranked program here for 2023. And yes, just the other day, I did speak with three of the club leaders, uh, Boris Fetbroit, he's director of rackets, Rich Wade, who is director of squash and Padel. They have a lot of racket sports there. Uh, and Lila Smith, director of communications. And we talked about what it meant to them to receive the honor. Um, also talk about the importance of the member experience, how important the member experience is to them at the club and what they're doing to kind of keep members engaged and interacting with one another through, if you will, the offering of such a wide variety of racket sports. So it was a great conversation. And I think it's a great blueprint for any club that already has a lot of racket programs, or if they're looking to expand the racket program, I think uh, the folks at Philadelphia Cricket Club offer a lot of great uh, insight on that topic. Hey, congratulations to Philadelphia Cricket Club, and uh, thank you to all the clubs who submitted uh, top to bottom. There's so much good stuff going on. Let's get to it. Let's watch this, uh, this interview you had. The June issue of Club and Resort Business included our annual listing of top-ranked racket facilities. This year, the Philadelphia Cricket Club in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, earned the number one ranking on our yearly list. Joining me today on Club and Resort Talks to discuss the honor are Boris Fetbroy, the club's director of rackets, Rich Wade, the club's director of squash and padel, and Lila Smith, the club's director of communications. Boris, Rich, and Lila, welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having us. Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate all three of you and everyone on the staff at Philadelphia Cricket Club uh, for earning this recognition from our publication. Boris, uh, first of all, Boris, could you tell me what does it mean to you and your staff to receive this honor? Well, the past two years, we came in third and fifth. So finally, to get the first spot, we're, you know, we're very thankful and grateful for, the, for winning the award. Um, but most important, it just shows club leadership that they're always forward thinking for our staff and trying to provide us like the best resources to succeed. So 
you know, the facilities are great, but the work that, you know, it takes to get all these facilities built started 10 years ago. So we're just thankful to have the leadership team that's always kind of forward thinking like that. Great. Excellent. And as I understand it, uh, we were putting together this information for our June issue. And I, as I understand it, Philadelphia Cricket Club has a very rich history. And if any of you would like to share a little bit more about the history of the club for our listeners. From the, well, we're, we're considered the oldest private club in the U.S. We were founded in 1854. From a tennis standpoint, um, we actually hosted the first U.S. Open in 1887. It was the Ladies U.S. Lawn Tennis Championships, which officially turned into the U.S. Open in 1968. And we've had some um, amazing athletes. Um, Robert Norris won the, I think, 1912 Mixed Doubles U.S. Open Championships. That was three months after surviving the Titanic. So, and then in 1914 and 1916, he won the Wimbledon titles in, um, in singles. So a lot of history. We um, we host um, an event called PILTA, which is considered the oldest team tournament in the U.S. It's the Philadelphia Interlong Tennis Association. Um, that's been going on for over 100 years now. And we've hosted some of the world's biggest junior international tournaments, such as players, you know, Chris Everett, Pete Sampras, Billie Jean King. They all competed in it. So we've got a lot of history. And we're fortunate and grateful for it, but we're also trying to stay ahead of the curve and kind of create our own history. Very good. Very good. Uh, and then, Rich, did I understand you had some ad information to add about the squash and the history of squash and Padel at yeah. the Philadelphia Cricket Club? Yeah, so um, Padel, a lot less of history than, than squash. Um, the squash facility underwent um, a refurbishment in 2013. Um, so we now have uh, 10 squash courts, eight singles and two doubles, which positions us as one of the leading facilities in the country. And so we're fortunate, just like Boris and the tennis facilities, to host major events. So we've hosted the US Open um, professional event, um, qualifying for the US Open in, in years past. We hosted a, a World Tour bronze event this past March, had the, some of the world's best players here. Um, the high school national championships, uh, which is also the largest team event in squash. So that's funny that, that the two sports we've hosted the largest um, team events. Um, so we're, we're just a good fit for, um, you know, set up from a facility standpoint. I think we're fortunate as staff that we we have the ability to use fantastic facilities. Um, and then obviously Padel um, is is only four months old coming up to um so we're gonna we're gonna write our own history with uh with Padel. Oh, I love how you said that. <laughs> we are building to the highest common denominator <laughs> at the club, right? Um uh, basically since the beginning, since we were founded in 1854, before we had any grounds of our own, the cricket team was going around to whatever clubs would have us play there. And then when we finally did get to move into our home in St. Martin's, our original home where we still are and where so much has changed and still so much has stayed the same. The core values of making sure that every member has facilities that they're proud to play in, that foster their own athleticism to the degree that they are interested. And that has always included athletes who are at the top of their form. We have world-class athletes at the cricket club. And so it's nice that the beginners in any sport, get to benefit from learning in the same environment that champions thrive. Wow. So really kind of a case of uh, something for everybody. 
here at the club. Right. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, and on that point, can you, maybe Boris start with you? Um, what does the club offer? I mean, we, it's already being touched on through the answers we already had, but can you talk a little bit more about what the club offers in its facilities that you feel distinguishes it from other racket clubs in the country? With just the amount of different racket sports that we offer, I think, well, if you know, you got padel, you got squash, you got pickle, you got paddle, you got tennis. I mean, I don't know, that's five or six different racket sports. And the, what that offers right away, especially these days in the private club business, you have a lot of members that play a lot of different racket sports. So it creates these kind of crossovers, right? And all of a sudden, even as big as a club that we are, creates this small rackets community. Like, you know, before padel came along, I didn't know who the squash players were. But now you have the squash players playing padel, and now you have tennis players playing padel. And guess what? Now we're, they're all over the place, and we get to know every single member. And yeah. that's something that unless you have all these different types of amenities, not all clubs can offer. So that's been kind of a major impact we've seen these, this year. So um, I don't know, Fritz, you want to speak to that as well? Yeah. I mean, sort of one of my phrases that I'll coin is we have more a variety, more variety of sports than the USTA National Center, which happens because of squash and and that doesn't fall under the usta's auspice yet um but um i think that's a pretty cool uh feather in the cap to have and um i think we're always looking at ways to maximize that and work together interdepartmentally boris and i you know work closely together on so many fronts so um, and our, our goal is always to make sure no matter what racket sport that they're playing as long as they're on st martin's campus you know we're happy directors and that's all that matters for us. A question came to mind, I guess, either for Boris or Rich there. Are you finding then um, there is a lot of crossover among members? Are, do you have a lot of members playing two, three different racket sports at the club? Yeah. I mean, I'll touch on this in the sense that Padel is an outdoor sport at the club. And maybe that could have been an effort to put a covering over it or found a space to do an indoor version of the sport. But we kind of have squash and platform tennis in the fall, winter months. And then we've got tennis, padel, pickle in the spring, summer months. Um, and I think people were comfortable knowing that um, you have something for each constituent group and department, depending on the time of year. And that's what really creates that that sort of cross-section of players that play multiple sports. Um, and I think we're finding more and more that it's not just like squash and padel. It's a lot of the squash players are now playing paddle and they enjoy Boris's program out there. So um, more and more now, I think we're, we're seeing that they're not just playing one or two, they're actually playing multiple. I would say less than 10% of our membership, Rackets membership or play only one sport, one racket sport. You know, I've, I've been um, always telling like the new industry these days in private clubs is, you know, the days of, oh, I'm a tennis player, a tennis playing member are over. I'm a rackets playing member. And to be able to play paddle six months out of the year outside, which is like the only outdoor sport you can play in the winter is a bonus. And then they play squash or they play padel. So the days of that single racket sport member are kind of pretty much gone. I think that's just something that happens when people join the club and meet people as well. Yeah. In you know, in doing my own research when I came to the club and getting to know our pro our programs, speaking with members was really insightful. You both know Kathy, who's quoted in the article, Kathy Tanner, who is VP of St. Martin's and the chair of the St. Martin's Sports Committee and the chair of the Paddle Committee at the time that we wrote the article. 
And something that she said to me that I thought was so cool was she came to the club thinking, oh, I'll play tennis. I love tennis. I only play tennis. And then someone dragged her out onto a paddle court, a, a platform tennis court, and that now look where she is. And then somebody else said, well, you've got to try Padel. And that's how it happens. These people talk to each other. They want to be there. They want to play with their friends and they want to see what all the hype is about when there's something else going on. That's interesting. Talk maybe <clears throat> Lila a little bit about, or we kind of continue with that thought process about sort of the, what role the, the social aspect plays in getting members to try out different racket sports, maybe extend on that a little bit. I think it's just what we're built to do on purpose because so many people join the club for a social experience that happens to be, you know, athletic. Uh, and so when these athletic people come together, they want to meet people who are similarly minded. They want to meet other people who will challenge and push them to grow as athletes. And sometimes they just want to have a fun game. And it's really these gentlemen who match them up with the right kind of players for their skill level, for their mood at the moment, even personality by personality. And their teams as well are so expert at facilitating those social connections. And it's really in everything that we do. When we plan a new facility, it's where will it go that our members can have the most social experience? Are there already food and beverage outlets that are nearby that we can take advantage of? And if you are on the Philadelphia Cricket Club St. Martin's campus, you can physically walk on the sidewalk from one court to the next to the next, all the way around the campus until you have passed every place that you can hold a racket and play a sport. And you're going to run into people along the way. And I think it's just one of those things that you could think is an accident, but it's very much by design. We want that collision. We want the interaction. We want the engagement of, oh, I see you're off to go and play Padel. I just got off the court. Now I'm going to play this thing those little moments of collision are by design. So people get to know each other and pull each other into new games. Yeah. Can I just add quickly on, on one of those thoughts? So we have the main clubhouse and then three outlets where you, where food and beverage is available. Um, the pool, a paddle hut and a squash cafe rackets terrace. Um, when the thought of Padel originally came up, the secondary thought was the squash cafe used to close out of season. So that would be April through September. And one of the thoughts was, well, if we put Padel close to or adjacent to the squash building, we now also have a social space that will stay open all year round. So it wasn't just the fact that it was another sport that we could put on the campus. Um, it was now we can have a social space year round and the knock on effect that that has for professional staff and um, F&B staff. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Interesting to hear that. And on that point though, Rich, um, talking about Padel, which we know is, is still a very new racket sport. What are you doing to, in, in the club doing to get people interested in Padel? I mean, I imagine part of it just is a matter of, of, of educating people how mm -hmm. the sport played, what the rules are and everything. Maybe yeah. talk a little bit about what you're doing to draw members into that sport. Yeah. So, I mean, it was uh, it was a negative that it took a long time to get here. Sort of we knew um, a couple of years back that it was coming and we just went through the process of 
getting approvals through township and and so on so while that took a while it was also an opportunity for us to educate the membership before it was even here so that created a buzz um we had anticipated uh spending a lot of time trying to sell the come learn to play and really super recreational and and trying to convince people to come out there and play um i think it was happenstance it was the end of the squash season end of the paddle season and the weather was getting a little nicer and we've got these four brand new courts that everyone's been talking about for two years um, we've had 850 different members participate in the last three months um, a pretty even cross-section between rackets members and full golf members um, and we pivoted from having to sell this sport that we weren't sure that people were going to jump into to uh to a very different type of programming which is sort of I wouldn't say sort of high level elite, but it was certainly we, we people wanted to play competitive matches. And so we transitioned quite quickly. So we we've done some quite typical programming from at all skill levels. We host our first member guest next week. So we we've kind of run into we're up and running full throttle. Um, it's not it's never been in its infancy. So we're quite fortunate, I think, in that sense. To a point where we need more courts. <laughs> two, two more courts would be great so you, you you have you have the quote-unquote good problem at this point right we have a, we have a good problem in this. And we had the same not. problem with paddle with four courts and then they finally built three more to seven so i i see that coming with padel the same way okay very good and boris for you uh did you also i know a few years ago during the pandemic we were seeing sort of the explosion of pickleball did, did that happen at philadelphia cricket club as well yeah, I wouldn't say to the same extent as it happened in Florida and other places, but I think the differences of being a club in the Northeast, Northeast, you know, we just have like, for example, we have Paddle, which is very big here, um, you know, and it's not really played that much down in Florida or any, any any states down south. But we went from about four years ago to 60, 70 pickleball players to around 350, 400 players right now, um, which is great. We have, you know, we have eight indoor courts on the two indoor hard tennis courts and four outdoor courts. But right now what we're seeing with the addition of Padel, pickle, the pickle curve has kind of, I wouldn't say flatlined, but it's not growing as fast as it was before. But now we're seeing more court time availability in the pickleball courts because more people are playing Padel or people playing tennis. So it just opens up more kind of court space, but they're still playing a racket sport at St. Martin. So that's kind of where we are. Okay, very good. Um, just kind of question for everybody. What else? I mean, we've already been talking about all the different ways that the member experience is is a great one at Philadelphia Cricket Club. But what else is being done? I, I assume it's sort of a constant process to continue to figure out ways to improve members' experiences. So for any of you, if you'd like to share some other ways in which that's going to be done as we're going down the road here. One of the things that we've done on kind of the tennis side is kind of pay attention to more of the smaller things. Um, you know, I was always focused on like big events, member guests and club championships. Right now we kind of focus just general plan is get people on the tennis court. So if there's a court, you know, we do open play tennis. If there's only three people signed up for it. You know, we do our best to, you know, get a fourth player for that court. Um, just small things like that kind of has a big impact on our membership. Going that extra mile, it's very easy for me to say, hey, you only have three people. Sorry, we can't find a fourth, you know. Maybe we'll try another time, but we, you know, we go to the last hour to make sure that court's filled and members really, really are starting to appreciate that more often. And I think that's something that we're going to kind of do towards paddle and pickleball as well. So, okay, just, just you know, paying attention to the small details. So 
at the end of the day, I think, you know, we have great facilities. We have great F&B outlets by these great racket sports. And we have a staff that is motivated to program. And when you create that culture, for example, you know, I know I can walk over to Padel tomorrow evening. And some people just walk over. They, know they don't even have a court reserve. They just want to hang because they know there's going to be people there. And they just enjoy that culture. And it has nothing to do with either playing through playing pickle or paddle. It's just creating that environment, wanting to be there. And we kind of have that across all racket sports. You also, both of you, Rich and Boris, have created with your teams this culture of feedback where you're always listening to member suggestions. And there's a real comfort level, I think, in emailing you or pulling you aside and asking you something, whether it's something that comes off as a complaint or something that comes off as a compliment, either way, that's data. And our staff really values that data. And we do make every effort to quantify that data. You know, it's easy to hear something and say, well, is this going to affect a decision we should make? Or is this just this one person's wish or desire? And so we do send out surveys. We're sending out member surveys this year again. We do this every couple of years to formalize that. But there really is an open line of communication with our staff so that members know they have advocates working on our team just to make sure that they have the best experience that they can be and constantly refining what that looks like. Every idea is considered, every comment is considered. And I think you both do, along with your teams, an exceptional job of making that feedback from members such an integral part of your decision-making. Like Rich, you mentioned briefly the pivot from maybe we'll need to do a lot of onboarding of people, come play Padel, come try it out, and then immediately you were able to pivot based on the usage data of the courts and seeing we are full right now as it is and people and yeah. watching what people were doing. What was, what was that for you that, what was that moment when you were like, we should just start a league? Was that someone's idea or request? Yeah. I mean, it was something that we were going to try and do in September in all honesty. And um, the process was just sped up. Um, Phil, just for reference, we created a, an internal box league. Our hope, our goal is to be industry leaders and not to be the only ones, right? We don't want to be the only club in the area to play Padel. That's pointless. Um, but we've got a really competitive group of members. So we created an internal box league, not rocket signs. I know a lot of places do it. We had uh, a little over 200 people sign up and 70 teams um in month two of of the sport being played at the club so that was just one of those things that you observe and you can just feel that <laughs> what the membership wanted was was uh was to jump right into something like that so yeah um i i had made a note about feedback and i'd also thought about the ecosystem that we all have because what we've done in squash is typically what we've always done in squash so to get to see how Boris does something has made us adapt and then vice versa. So we're, and then not just internally, but then externally trying to steal great ideas from, from other um, people in our position. So uh, not think, to say that every good idea I've had has been someone else's. I think the key, I know it sounds so simple, but it's simple, but it's, you have to do it. It's just to listen to the members and what they're saying and what they want. And what's happened with the crossover, all these racket sports of different members playing different racket sports. Rich can come up to me and say, hey, this member wants to do this and that. And I can say, well, this member in this racket sports, you know, wants to do this and that. And I can say if they're being logical, if it's a little bit out of the box, 
And based on that little small community that we have of understanding all our members, we kind of can come up with a decision that's best for the program. So that's kind of um, what's been working. Right. So it sounds like really, yeah, willingness to listen, willingness to, you know, put into action what you're hearing in your in feedback from members and, and being flexible to it, open minded, willing to, as you said, willing to pivot and change uh, based on the way things are. It, it, it does seem like our world changes faster than it ever did before. That's for sure. Probably the fast flow of information does that as well. I yeah. would imagine, for sure. Well, um, I do congratulate the three of you and your Thank entire you. staff at the Philadelphia Cricket Club. Uh, please convey that on behalf of Club Resort Business to your whole staff, all three of you. Uh, congratulations again on receiving our honor as uh, top-ranked, Club Resort Business top-ranked racket facilities for 2023, uh, coming out here in the June issue that uh, should be arriving at clubs here shortly. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate Thanks, it. Phil. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. And a reminder again to our listeners, Visit Club and Resort Business for more news about the club and resort industry and to see this episode and other episodes of Club and Resort Talks. As always, take care, stay well, and have a great day.